welcome to episode 364 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and uh, we're continuing our thread from last week. This is another episode on Ogre Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber for the N64 on episode 364. And I'm being joined by the same 264 enthusiasts uh, as the previous episode. They are Pete Levitt. Hello. And Josh Lindquist. Hi, everyone. Uh, Pete and Josh, I, uh, I, I, I was a little salty the previous episode because I found this game difficult to get into and I was going through a, um, a, a pretty bad time in my life and I, and I didn't really get to play the game much at all. And, uh, and so I, I apologized and then complained and then complained a little more and then acknowledged that maybe the game isn't, isn't as, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe the game I was maybe playing it at the wrong time for myself, and well, nothing much has changed because I uh, I, I still have not um, played uh, very far into Ogre Battle sixty four. I made probably a, a, a an hour more progress than previous time. I, I sort of accepted at some point the past ten days that I wasn't gonna be able to finish this game, but I did do some side research. I did watch some videos on on the game so I can talk about it at least a little cogently or at least help you guys um, uh, get into the nitty degree of this game while I smile and nod and pretend that I played when uh, played it when I, in fact I didn't at all. But uh, we, I, now that I've set the ground rules that I have not played this game, I, I know that both of you um, either finished or got to the very end uh, in, in this playthrough in time for this recording. Um, uh, Pete, tell uh, the listeners... Uh, uh, an abridged version of how your playthrough went for it this time. Uh, it was pretty smooth. Uh, this playthrough, I um, just loaded up an emulator for, and this game plays beautifully at 300% speed. And I just kind of devoured scene after scene and um, had a lot of fun. It's, it's actually pretty snappy and zippy at that speed, which is not a speed that's, uh, able to that's that you can play it at under normal circumstances, but um, it was I was able to get through it uh, quicker than normal this time and um, got a different ending that I didn't remember, and I thought it was great. I had a great time. Okay, so uh, Josh, um. I, I, now we talked a little bit before recording. Uh, it looks like you got a different ending than Pete got. Uh, how did your playthrough of Ogre Battle sixty four go this time around? Uh, yeah, like I uh, I set out knowing how to get uh, one of the worst endings, kind of figuring no one else would. Uh, so I'm playing on a Wii U primarily, just on the gamepad. Uh, you can still get the game there for like another month, <laughs> and. Uh, but no, I mean, my, my playthrough went fine. Uh, I did start rushing through the game uh, in the last few days. So kind of went the power level a few a few units route and just plow through things, uh, which unfortunately is coming back to haunt me now that I've gotten a bonus stage at the end that is very difficult. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I mean, smooth, fun, as always. We can talk about the nitty gritty of that bonus stage and what happened to each of you in the endings um, going for, uh, a little bit later this episode. But where we last left off, 
we talked a little bit about uh, Magnus and Dio and um, a few of the other major characters in uh, in Ogre Battle 64, but only really got to the very beginning of the story. Uh, there was one character that um, that that co- that shows up very prominently towards the end of the game, and in, in, in the uh, the video, one of the videos I I saw uh, mentioned him a lot and tried to like break down his role in the game. Is is it is it uh, um, Prince Yonel? Uh, it's it? Yumel or yeah, Yumel. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know if we mentioned him in the previous episode, but his friendship with Magnus like shapes maybe the entire storyline at some point. At, at at one point. Yeah, no, it's a it's a central part of the story for sure. Uh, like it's a it's a driving force for why Magnus goes to the military academy in the prologue of the game, uh, and it kind of drives decision making that uh, Yumel makes up until the final chapters of the game. Uh, Magnus is essentially searching for him for the whole game. Right. So. Oh God, I, I'm I'm gonna have so much difficulty following this. Uh, Magnus starts out in a contingent called the Blue Knights, and eventually he clashes with um with, with other in, entrenched um uh Palatinian nobility, and the uh and and the rebel army sort of eventually sides with the revolutionary faction. Um, sees more nobles behaving badly, so to speak. But uh, there. But he eventually just through. I guess if you're taking a a a lawful route, like Magnus's belief in 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 injustice, injustice, and in doing the right thing for Palatinus, eventually leads him to trying to find uh, his his old friend Yumel, who is maybe the one person among the nobles or among the royal family that wants to resolve this peacefully. So, so at least part of the mid game is him trying to seek out Yumel. Is that, is, is that about it? Yeah. So about, about halfway through the story, uh, at least from Magnus's perspective, Yumel goes missing, uh, and doesn't know where he's ended up. Uh, and then you briefly find him again and he goes missing again. Um, and so that's kind of, in a lot of ways, you're fighting a war, you know, the whole time, but there's a secondary plot where Magnus is searching for Yumel. And Magnus and Yumel are are naturally opposed um, throughout most of the game, where Yumel is a, is a prince, and Magnus is, of course, a major cog in the revolutionary army against the prince against the nobility in general against the the power structures and so magnus throughout the game contends with his friendship and and affection for yumel um while also um reconciling that with his sense of justice his desire for justice and his mission as a revolutionary and uh yumel being a kind of coddled prince his main personal struggle is how weak he feels all the time, how um, he's unable to affect anything. And he eventually desires power. Um, and his, his main internal contradiction is his desire to shape and govern without feeling like he has any of, of the power at all. Right. Okay. Now I'm, I'm I'm just I'm just trying to parse this all together here. Uh, 
uh, uh, Yumul's um, role in the story takes a very dramatic turn later. But uh, in general, Magnus um, like is a graduate of the military academy. His faction's called is for a while called the Blue Knights. He joins the Revolutionary Army. Then there's complications. It's revealed that sort of the uh, royal family and nobility of Palatinus has been sort of a puppet government propped up by the like uh, by the Empire of Lotus for an undetermined amount of time, possibly over a generation. Um, but then does, what are the events that lead to, um, the near, uh, execution of, of Frederick, the leader of the revolutionary army? Cause is, is, is Magnus roped back into the, uh, the, the Palatinian nobility or does, what exactly happens there? That, that was a detail I missed. So that's actually the turning point where he joins the revolutionary army. Uh, in the beginning, uh, okay. and, just to, and just to clarify, the Blue Knights is the name of Magnus's company that he, his battalion. Right. Uh, so it remains that throughout the game. Yeah, as a contingent, no matter which they, they faction he's a part of. Revolutionary Army um, as a whole contingent, yeah. Okay, but, I, I thought he joined the Revolutionary Army earlier <laughs> and then and then meets Frederick. But but, but the, Fred, the, the execution grounds with Frederick is the turning point for the uh, Revolutionary Army. Um, but I, uh, but uh, uh, Pete and Josh, I think you guys took separate story paths. Um, uh, uh, Pete, describe what happened to you at that scene at the execution grounds. I uh, refused to execute Frederick and got reprimanded for it. And um, then Debonair and um, Saradin, who are Zenobian insurgents, so they're from another country and they're in... Um, Palatinus helping with the revolution. Yeah, they, Zenobia is, a, is where most of March of the Black Queen, the first ogre battle takes place. Yes. Um, they come in and so when you refuse to execute Frederick, Raid reprima- Raid was the knight we mentioned last episode who was just like a hothead. Um, he was uh, always angry at Godesles and always angry at you. He thinks that you're some young hotshot and he's not very impressed himself. So when you refuse, he reprimands you, throws you aside and he goes to execute Frederick himself. And at that moment, um, Debonair and uh, Saradin come in and rescue uh, r- rescue Frederick. And then um, Magnus and uh, I think Hugo's with him, but they go and meet up with Frederick in like some house somewhere and they, and they talk it out. And that's when Magnus decides to join the Revolutionary Army. Unless I'm missing some detail, Josh. You, you are uh, mixing up two scenes, actually. I'm mixing uh, up two scenes. It was a while yes. ago. <laughs> <laughs> so there are actually two of these execution scenes not far from each other. Uh, at the beginning, uh, Prince Yumel is kidnapped by the Revolutionary Army. And that's the scene you're referring to where Raid tells you to execute the... Uh, the person that essentially was holding Yumul captive, uh, who is a member of the Revolutionary Army. Uh, Magnus refuses be- primarily because Yumul is screaming in the background not to kill them, uh, and the knights raid with him uh, won't listen because he's a pampered prince and needs to see the real world. Uh, and then the Zenobians come in and and rescue him. Uh, at Frederick's execution, if you refuse, uh, Dio jumps in and says, yeah, I'm with you and covers you while you and Frederick escape to meet with Hugo. Uh, 
So there's still a similar scene. It's just not the Zenobians. It's just Dio comes in. That, and that's cool. I'm, I'm happy to be corrected on that because that is a oh. cool scene with Dio. That's like the that's like the homies clasping hands moment with Dio after having been at each other's throats up until almost that point. But I mean, but there's multiple ways Dio can react to this scene, depending on how you behave at the uh, at, at the scene with Frederick, right? That is correct. Yes. Uh, and I took the opposite scene. Uh, <laughs> so uh, your options at the execution are to either say you won't do it or to simply remain silent. Uh, and I chose to remain silent. And what essentially happens is you, you, the role of Magnus and Dio is swapped. Uh if you say you can't do it, you then change your mind and there's kind of a ruse where you pretend you're going to execute him and you actually cut the ropes and run away. Uh, if you stay in silence, Dio does that instead. He steps forward, cuts the ropes, uh, and then tells you all to run. Uh, so I did that. Um, but I also took uh, another route. Last episode, we briefly mentioned that at the beginning, Dio offers to fight you for leadership. Uh, if you say no, and then you also just sit in silence, it, the story kind of proceeds as it would. If you choose to fight Dio, which I did, and then sit in silence, then Dio leaves and goes missing after that scene. Uh, and his story changes completely from that point. Uh, so in my story, Dio is then also missing. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Dio is a reactive character whose uh, uh, story can go almost opposite ways depending on the, a few key decision points. I, I think I, I think he's similar to Vice from Tactics Ogre in that way. But uh, like, like, if you, like, uh, I mean, if you cut the ropes and Dio holds off the enemy and reunites with you. He's sort of your buddy for the whole re entire rest of the game. But uh, if you, you know, fight him and then he cuts the ropes and he gives up, is, is he gone for the rest of the game? Like it, it's, it, it sounds like, like he can be a late game adversary or with you to the end, depending on how these scenes play out. And, and you're actually correct. Um, he, he's gone from your army for the rest of the game. Uh, you see some extra cutscenes with him. Uh, uh, like another key point is eventually in the story, you confront and defeat raid and you kill raid. Uh, if you don't have Dio with you, you don't kill raid. He runs away and you get a scene where Dio kills raid uh, just off, off screen, not in a battle. Uh, well, not off screen. They show you, but uh, and then later Dio is a boss. Uh, like you fight him in a mission instead of a different character. Yeah, so he he really is like this game's version of Vice. Yeah, um, so uh, no, that's actually a very, very direct comparison. Uh, and I've not even finished Tactics Ogre and <laughs> know exactly what you're talking about with Vice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a very, very similar situation. Uh, he becomes a powerful Dragoon boss encounter. Uh, and you do have a bit of a bit of reuniting with him in the end where he says that he just wanted to be like you and uh you know you kind of just have a moment before he dies uh but that's about three quarters through the game when that happens 
so Pete, um, how did your relationship with Dio play out in your run of this game? So there's not much more development between Magnus and Dio outside of a few minor scenes. There's a scene early on when the the Blue Knights join the revolution where Dio uh, says, we're with you, Magnus, you know, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe there's a later scene as well where he um, affirms his loyalty um, to Magnus. Um, um yeah, I didn't notice, uh, at least in the, in the path I took, much further development in their relationship other, other than that. Um, so I, I guess their friendship is just solidified and they're just cool now. Yeah, like he's around for cutscenes, always has dialogue and is, you know, funny, if we say, right? He's still a hothead, uh, but he's clearly on your side from that point on and in some ways his character development is just more interesting if he's bad. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he's a good, he's a good character. I have to know, I apologize. This is a bit of a tangent, but Josh, did, did you name your, um, did you name your group something different? Oh no, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. Oh man. This time I went with, Terra Irae, the land of wrath. I don't know. I feel like I would get confused every time it showed up on the screen. If it's it kind of rocks. But like later on, Baldwin is like, damn you, Terra Irae. We're like, oh, yeah, say it, say it out loud, buddy. That's right. <laughs> well, OK, I mean, oh, boy, like we could probably do an entire episode on the ridiculous names that we've named various things in RPGs over the years. Uh Sometimes I'll use just things from other video games. Like I think there was, um, oh boy, a, a run of Disgaea where I just named every unit a a, a color in a language other than English. That's uh, awesome. Like, like <laughs> I think I think my Ice Mage was Asul and my Red Mage was Rouge. Uh, at least one time years and years ago. Uh, one in a run of Final Fantasy X. I named Shiva the summon girl with as many R's as I could fit in the, uh, in the, uh, in the name. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, naming teams and characters, silly things is an RPG tradition as old as time. Uh, yeah. Going all the way back into the days when I was frustrated that Chrono Trigger only had, I think five character spaces for names. So I couldn't quite get to all of the profanities and compound words I wanted to. But um, does this game let you name anyone or sort of just Magnus and the Blue Knights? Uh, you get to name Magnus uh, and then the name of your battalion and you can name all of your other non-unique characters. So you can't rename Dio or Leia, but all the other little random folks, you can rename You can rename them whenever you want to, just in the menu. You can just when change their names. When you reach endgame, say the 75-80% mark, uh, how many units would you guess is in a typical army? I had 10, which I think is the maximum. Yeah, you can like deploy. you can only deploy 10 units at a time, groups and, at a time. Oh, and, and, and there's and there's maybe four or five characters per unit. Typically, yes. Um, OK, uh, so it's a you can have 100 individuals in your army, uh, which is for most folks just overkill. Even maintaining 10 units at a good level where they're strong enough can be difficult. 
Okay, yeah, so, I, this, so this isn't like uh, as crazy as some Fire Emblem games get, but still definitely a, a non-trivial number of units. Definitely a non-trivial number. And I, I was doing things too where I didn't want to deal with like zombies and stuff this time. There's a chance if you have a, a incapacitated character at the end of a mission that they'll turn into a, a zombie. And, you know, a zombie is a fairly useful unit. You can have it on the front line. It regenerates if it dies. If your unit survives a battle and uh, it's it's inc- incapacitated, it will revive immediately at full health. So they're not, like, useless to have. But I was just dismissing zombies from my army. So I had a really neat 10 units that were basically <laughs> maxed out. Yeah, I know that sometimes class changing and, and monster shenanigans can get out of control and in... in ogre battle and tactics ogre games you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get a lich or a summoner in the uh-huh. in the tactics ogre games that i've played they're, they're, no. they're powerful and but it's but it's you know it, it can get a little weird trying yeah. to get a specific class yeah i one. rushed through a lot of this right so i didn't go their side quest to get a lich you can get a vampire uh dragoons princess i did get an angel knight uh which Whoa. requires the same uh zombification process uh except if a if a female character dies and you have and they have the right stats and you have the right items in your inventory there is a chance they will become an angel instead of a zombie Uh, so is is there a lot of save reloading if you're trying to uh get an angel on your team or or did you just have an incredible (laughs) stroke of luck no there's save reloading um (laughs) there is at we believe one item in the game there's one item in the game that prevents you from becoming a zombie uh, but it takes a lot of effort to get uh, you. The I, I ended up with multiple angels because there's also an item that lets you uh, recruit enemy characters. And I used that to recruit some enemy angels instead. Nice. So, um, I mean, I mean, we, we don't need to go into every nook and cranny in this job system, but like uh, the job systems in the ogre games, like sometimes you have to unlock specific events with uh, like Josh just described. Sometimes it's just a matter of co- uh, of um, collecting a number of um, uh, is it is, it's class cards in this game, too, right? No, this game doesn't have class cards at all. Oh, it's, it's all stat and item based. Oh, uh, really? OK. Yep. All right. So, um, I mean, I, I, I didn't do any class change. Get, I didn't get far enough to do any class changing, really, in what I played. So, uh, hmm, like, like um, uh, let's say other than Angel or Lich or the really super end game weird classes, what, what was a one of your bread and butter or favorite classes that you uh, always included in your armies? Oh, uh, at, at least this playthrough. So for my for my uh, unit with Magnus in it, I had. Um... A priest backing him up and just three sword masters on the front line. And on a few other ones, I was I was having um, some ninja masters on the front line as well. I had one guy who was a, a doll master um, on the front line. All those uh, units attack three times. And it's r- pretty rare to have a unit that attacks three times. So having that extra attack in a battle goes a long way. Yep. No, sword masters are very good and just for clarity a sword master is the it's your typical like fast unit that uh guards a lot and hits hard but has low defense if it gets hit uh like a you know it the the low version is called a fencer i can't think of what they call it in the other games uh, 
but that's it. It's it's a low defense, high guarding, and high attack sword guy. Uh, so yeah, just for this direct comparison, my Magnus unit was Magnus, a swordmaster, and then a paladin, uh, which is a higher defense, you know, frontline guy. Uh, and then I also had a priest for healing and a uh, siren, which is the powerful sorceress character. Now, I uh, can't help but like hear paladin, siren, priest. That seems like a pretty strongly law- lawful alignment unit. Uh, sirens are actually considered chaotic. Okay, so you're you're mixing them up, uh, but yeah. Uh, so, so what were your what were your alignment goals this uh, this playthrough? I, I I mean I know that you, it, it seemed pretty chaotic what you were trying to do with that execution ground. Yeah, so I I actually I I like to just spread out and have a lot of different things, um, and since uh, you can keep different squads very different alignments, like you don't have to stick to one thing. Uh, magic is very powerful and magic is always chaotic uh, mostly always chaotic uh, so if you want to have wizards and sorceresses you need to keep some chaotic units uh, but even just for even if you want uh, a good ending right you've got to be able to match the uh, the, the feelings of the different town, right. different yeah. towns so it's better to keep some of every alignment if you can uh, like we mentioned last week, managing alignment is awful. <laughs> it just is bad. What I did this time is I just kind of let things play out how they were, and I just tried to keep track of who was at what level and uh, went about uh, liberating or capturing towns as best I could with who I had trying to match that. And it didn't always work out. There was, I think, at least one scenario where I think I captured every town versus liberating it. It's just how it played out, but... I kind of let it, it let it be a little more loose this time. Yeah, and I I wasn't really trying uh, un- until the end. I wasn't trying very hard to liberate or capture specifically in my playthrough. I kind of just let it go. Um, there's kind of a your story decisions also affect your reputation, so you can end up with a very good starting point or bad starting point just based on the choices you make. Uh, and then you have less work to do to get the I, ending you want. I found it. Yeah. I found it fairly generous of like, Oh, you know, you captured a few towns here. You're not like screwed forever in the story, right. you know? All right, great. And um, we, we, we mentioned Dio and uh, Yuma already and how they have, uh, uh, they play pretty key roles in the story. And, and I think Yuma's role, at least later on is, is roughly the same on every alignment path, but Dio, uh, his role in the story is definitely reactive to this, to the decisions you make and, and possibly also your chaos frame. Uh, is there another character that, uh, whose, uh, role in the story can change, uh, that you find particularly interesting that, uh, this playthrough you first, Josh, uh, Anka Seth, uh, Magnus's father, uh, just very plainly can live or die. Uh, based on the choices you make, um, he uh, yeah, in uh, he's actually Yumel's right hand general and kind of guardian. Uh, yeah, that's how you met Yumel as a as a child, is because um, Ankaseth was Yumel's um, 
bodyguard and uh, and you were Anka Seth's son, so you sort of became childhood friends that way. Is that is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, there's a scene at the end of the game where they just literally show that uh, that meeting, uh, and it's very plain. Like, hey, Umul, here's my son. You know, go play. <laughs> and uh, so now at at a turning point, you have to choose whether you're going to fight your father or not. Uh, and if you choose to fight your father, uh, he will die, not by your hand, but, uh, and, and if you choose not to, then you can prevent his death, uh, and have him join your group. I find that pretty interesting too, because his, um, the way I played it anyway, Anka Seth gives Magnus a big speech about growing up and about how his ideals are maybe unrealistic. And I thought it was cool that, because it's a, I mean, it's a fairly, you can see where he's coming from. It's a fairly reasonable way of thinking um, for a guy like that. Um, And I thought it was pretty cool how Magnus, you know, stood up for himself and decided that revolution was the path for him and everything. Um, but yeah, Anka Seth is, is someone that does have some things to say in the story for sure. And I, I knew you could recruit him, but I never, I never did that after you recruit him. I don't imagine there's any other, um, is there much more development after that? Uh, not especially, uh, like a, he'll, he'll show up still right. Uh, at parts and, and it does, it, it affects, other decisions uh there's a for example there is a werewolf character in the third chapter uh bisque and uh bisque and ankaseth are in the past fought each other and are not friends right and if if ankaseth is with you bisque wants nothing to do with you uh so your decision if ankaseth is dead you can actually recruit the werewolf uh which is something that i did but uh but so like his presence changes how other people react to you uh but aside from that there's not extra character development uh he's joining you because he cares about Yumul and is is with you just to go find him essentially so for the most part um i hope i'm not overgeneralizing here but a lot of the the unique characters will have um, sort of a recruitment arc or a recruitment quest, and and that's where their their spot in the story shines brightest. But once they sort of you know uh, make the decision whether to permanently join or or leave you, they mostly are just in the on on the bench and and along for the ride, un, unless you know un, unless something like the like the bisque scene pops up like like they mostly just have their story moment and then they're just in your in your army for the rest of the game yeah that is i think generally fair uh you know with some exceptions uh you like i can think of a couple exceptions where if saradin joins you then he'll explain an important story concept to you later and if he doesn't then hugo explains it and says saradin told me about this uh and at one point you go back to Leia's hometown. So she kind of has her side quest to focus on her family and what's going on there. Uh, but yeah, once the characters are in your battalion, their arc is often over. Uh, one character that I have a bit of fondness for that I don't think 
I don't think you can affect the path of him much, but he does have some development is Frederick. Um, Frederick is kind of your classic, like uh, maybe French revolutionary or like Soviet intelligentsia type guy. He like wears plain clothes. He's a scholar. He's not, I don't think he's a noble, but he has some privilege just by being like a scholar. And he is of course a leader of the revolutionary army, but he's not a warrior. And there's a really great, it's one of my favorite scenes where the revolutionary kind of commanders are meeting at a table and there's a general there named, named Zevik and he is a, like a veteran soldier and he gets fed up with Frederick. Um, uh, this is, uh, has to do with um, a group of enslaved people, which is another cool story thing we might be able to talk to, but he gets fed up with him. Um, because he's thinking, Zevik is thinking pragmatically about how he can utilize an alliance with these enslaved people to aid in the revolution. And his points are pretty fair. He's, I don't think he's being, uh, he's, Magnus perceives him as wanting to use these people. And Zevik shuts Magnus down and says, just because you've had a few successful operations does not mean that you can talk that way to me. And then Frederick kind of calms everyone down. And then later, Zevik and Frederick speak to each other privately. And Frederick is like, is there something else you have to say to me? And Zevik says, look, you're our leader, but you like you don't really know what war means. And so they have this cool moment where I think Frederick is also allowed to learn a little bit and at least adjust his role um, in kind of in the whole group and in their whole project. Yeah, you you definitely don't affect Frederick's arc very much, uh, but he is, like you said, he's a politician, he's an idealist, you know, the war is a means to an end, it's not, he doesn't really want there to be a war, it just feels like it's necessary to get, to make a change, uh, and, uh, but, but your decisions, I believe, do change some of the things he says to you, uh, so, like, even at the end of the game, uh, when you kind of go off to the final confrontation, he warned me because I'm in a, a bad ending kind of route. It was like, you need to watch yourself. You're focused too much on killing things and winning battles and not thinking enough about the big picture and how people perceive you. Uh, and so you do get, you do get different dialogue from Frederick based on kind of things that you choose to do and just how you play the game. Uh, but and that's actually true of a lot of things kind of backtracking a second i said there's no character development uh a lot of the times bosses will speak to different characters differently so if when you fight a boss if they know the person in the group you'll get some extra scene uh and that sometimes you're surprised who reacts to who oh yes that is a thing i know all too well um, I mean, try playing uh, Trails in the Sky second, like the end game bosses with their corresponding, like personal history character in your party. It it it, it sometimes gives you wildly different scenes, but I'm sure this is rewarding for people that you know get invested in the specific characters. Um, but let's go back to the main story a little bit. Uh, I I think uh you sort of after you join the revolutionary army. Um, your sort of Magnus just keeps winning uh, battles. 
your army keeps growing uh the alignment of the different unique characters that join depending on depend on your circumstances and your alignment and your decisions like we've uh illustrated with dio and akaseth and others um and but eventually uh like I, I uh sort of the lotus empire steps in because they realize that that uh palatinus isn't going to really solve itself and uh and uh, please correct me if i'm wrong they start um offering items from the underworld to their more troubled subjects or or uh, or subjects that are afraid they'll lose to magnus or afraid they'll lose their power uh and most of these items uh, will transform people into ogres which are sort of human demon uh, underworld hybrids of sorts that are that are prone to rage and destruction so they, like uh around the two-thirds mark or maybe the one half mark you start fighting um underworld denizens and not just uh and, and not just knights and and human warriors uh and, and it's mostly from the interference from lotus is that is that am i off base here or is, it, is that... it is from the interference of lotus uh it it is teased at least earlier uh every chapter of the game has at least a stage where you fight netherworld denizens uh okay but uh yeah it ramps up heavily in the back half of the game uh but even at the beginning your former general we've mentioned godesilus uh lotus kind of preys on him in the background says yeah because he's he's sort of weak-willed and afraid of losing his influence right so so he very willingly tries to uh use demon power but he ends up like as a berserk ogre or at least his 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 knights do so yeah it's the object is specifically the fruit it's a fruit of the netherworld okay so so it's like the the hades pomegranate sort of (laughs) and uh it uh i believe the way it works and i i could be a little bit wrong but they if you're weak willed essentially um it can uh, transform you. And so Godesilus actually feeds them to his whole family and they transform into ogres. Uh, And he himself uh, gains power, essentially. Uh, He just, he kind of goes crazy and gains ability he didn't have, but it is still, it's just consuming him. Uh, And you meet a lot of people like that that have been consumed by they call it the infernal aura and uh, are just kind of on a a path to madness but trading it for power so yeah so so you're seeing ogres and other underworld monsters throughout the game but uh when you see this when lotus starts intervening more directly and you see the scene where they give uh when where they give him the the underworld fruit and you sort of see it happen in a cutscene or at least at least more directly like the, at that sort of a turning point where the presence of ogres sort of ramps up <clears throat> yeah like a, a, it's right. kind of it's i would say even it might be like the climax of chapter 1 if that's not frederick's execution um like the ogres appear suddenly there's you know the title is in the game now they say they talk about ogre battle and how everyone thought it was a legend. Yeah. Ogre uh, battle was, was like the catastrophic war between uh, the, the forces of light and darkness that happened centuries before this, uh, the events of this game. Right. Right. Uh, and everybody thought, you know, it was just a myth and what are these monsters? Uh, and so it's there, but then it kind of gets put away for a little while. 
uh, and, and then it starts popping back up. But like you said, once Lotus realizes that Palatinus won't sort itself, then they really go in and just take over the whole operation. Uh, and it's not even like Palatinus is a puppet state anyway, but they come in and just say, King, you're not the king anymore. We're, you know, we're really taken over now because you can't handle it. Uh, and then you also just start to see them pursuing this netherworld power more and more. Right. Because from the ogre battle legend, there is um, some power connected to the underworld hidden in Palatinus and Lotus is, is very keen to find, to find it. Um, and, but now I'm going to, I'm going to skip a couple steps here. Like, like Magnus continues to win victories. The, the, the threat is now, and is now Lotus itself. Um, they, they try to go into the capital and at one, and at one point, um, like, like, uh, Magnus is trying to arrange some kind of truce or some kind of ceasefire with Yumel. But then it, it it doesn't go well because of interference from other uh, from other nobles that that don't want the ceasefire, and then that escalates the conflict further and leads to Lotus giving a uh, one of the underworld fruit to Yumel, and then things get extra bad. Is that am I remembering uh, my my videos correctly? Yes, actually. Um, yeah, okay. So that I, conflict you refer to is the conflict where Ankaseth can live or die. Ah, uh, right, that, right. That uh, Yumul and Ankaseth don't want to fight Magnus. They want a truce. They want to, you know, Yumul wants peace. He doesn't want, the, he doesn't want to fight Magnus or anyone. Uh, he wants to find a resolution to the conflict. And the revolutionary army actually rejects the truce. Uh, and tells Magnus to go fight them, and that's where you get to decide whether you're going to follow orders or if you're not oh, okay. Follow okay, orders. so yes, yeah, so so you don't choose whether to. All right, the, the the revolutionary army will always reject the truce, but then the player can decide Magnus's actions. Right, following that, uh, and so you know if you decide to accept the truce anyway, it does eventually go through, and we mentioned Zevik earlier. Zevik will throw that back in your face. Like who even told you to, you know, to do this. We told you to fight all of them. Uh, and he's very untrusting of their new allies. Uh, but, uh, but yes, Lotus comes and steals away. Yumel. This is where he goes missing. Uh, and eventually gives him a fruit, which uh, puts into play a whole bunch of supernatural events. Right. I, I, I don't want to get into every nitty gritty of the supernatural event, but connected to the famous ogre battle conflict in the distant past, um, there was a half demon, half goddess uh, named named Danica, who is one of the central figures of the ogre battle conflict. But her power was divided centuries and centuries ago, um, but but lives on through a specific scion of the royal family and uh, and remark uh in a remarkable coincidence that's yumel so uh i i think lotus gave yumel the uh the 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 fruit of the underworld intending for yumel to turn into an ogre and go berserk and and just throw a wrench into the plans of the revolutionary army maybe destroy the uh the the the, the um the the, the 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 nobility and the revolutionaries at the same time but instead it unlocks the power of the ancient queen of the underworld from within Yumel and uh, and and the 
antagonist switches almost rapidly from being the Lotus Empire to the uh, forces of the under of, of hell, like being unleashed on you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I mean, I know Chaos Gates are a big deal because the Chaos Gate at the end of Tactics Ogre is a uh, is is, you know, a a capital P problem. So uh, w- like when this game takes a turn into heavy supernatural uh i mean does it feel like a turn where like like did does does lotus realize they've made a huge mistake or is this part of their grand plan all along well there's a little bit of foreshadowing because uh it's it's known that before the holy lotus empire um took over took control of palatinus in palatinus they worshipped an earth goddess named bertha and uh lotusism um is like the doctrine of a sun god, Philar, I guess. I can't really, I don't know how to pronounce the god's name, but um, there. at some point you go kind of deep into the mountains and you go to places where there are people who still are actively worshiping the old religion of, of the nation. And it's there revealed where, um, there it's revealed that the temple of Bertha <clears throat> is a chaos gate. And so the Holy Lotus Empire was trying to reach the, I think Josh, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're trying to go there to access the chaos gate at some point. Yes, that's right. Uh, because that's the, that's the chaos gate where Danica was said to be, have, well, it's the chaos gate where Bertha had entered the netherworld in the backstory, but like where the, where the ultimate power was first acquired was at that temple. So that's like a couple of chapters before the big turn. So there is a little bit of foreshadowing there, a little bit of kind of, yeah, a little, there's a little bit of heads up. Yeah. Like once you get to the temple of birth uh, yourself, it uh, definitely uh, like the chapter ends, right. And then it goes into the, the final chapter and the final chapter is, is probably longer than the others, but it's also like all netherworld, uh, related uh even yeah, when yeah, you're you, fighting I mean, you, lotus you, they're all going mad from the netherworld denizens yeah um, i mean there's like like there's ogres and zombies and probably liches and sirens just like like you, you can't throw a rock without hitting without hitting two ogres um but the the, the end game sort of like but it, it is sort of a bit of a a bit of a hard left from the story of a revolution and an empire and an and nation building and puppet states to suddenly the queen of the netherworld has been revived and uh and the forces of hell are are um are threatening to conquer the the world like it's <laughs> it, it, it is and also isn't like they it, it's interesting because in the end you go to the central division where the capital is uh and you're still fighting lotus for the most part um you can take a very direct route to the capital. Uh, there's multiple optional missions. When you go into those optional missions, you're kind of rescuing the all the citizens. You're going to various populated areas and saving them from the netherworlders. But if you take the direct route, then you're just fighting the central army and Lotus to reach the capital. And that's when you start hearing rumors that some chosen one is in the capital trying to put together some grand plan, which turns out to be Yumel. Uh, 
but Magnus doesn't know that until you're literally in the throne room. <laughs> There's a pretty cool gameplay shift here too, where you start assaulting strongholds. It's it's turns out to be very similar. It's not that different, but it was a cool idea where it's a they kind of zoom the camera in. It's a little smaller scale just in the map design and you're fighting in like crowded streets and so if you retreat suddenly you don't have much room to maneuver and things like that it changed it up just enough that i thought it was kind of fun it feels like if they were to make another one of these they could expand on that this is like a first draft kind of thing but just from a gameplay perspective like fighting in those fortresses taking them gate by gate and breaching the walls and kind of plotting your path through the streets to get to the castle on top. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. And it, it's neat, too, that you have to, like, break the gates down. Uh, if you take in some flying units, you can actually fly over the walls and just go in directly. Uh, but uh, a good comparison to a more commonly played game is, like, if you play Fire Emblem, uh, you'll play a map where you're outside uh, and you have to go seize the castle. But then the next stage is you're actually inside the castle uh, that you just took trying to get to the throne room. And it's the same idea that you play a big area and reach the castle and then you actually fight your way through the castle walls. All right. And, and all of these sort of are in the second half of the game. They're all yeah, in the I final think there's chapter. Like, yeah. There's like four or five of them, I think. And they're all at the end. Yeah. Because it's all like major, major. Uh, castles essentially of the central division like their major strongholds uh and you always fight a major story character uh prince yumel has a brother uh who's very powerful uh that's the first boss of the one the first castle you take uh and then later you fight the king or you can fight the king in some storylines you fight the the lotus knights the leadership uh so like it when you when you go inside a castle you know something important is about to happen. But, but that's interesting. Um uh I mean I mean Josh you you've probably played through the stories the storylines more than Pete has. Um what what are the major differences between the story paths as you're um hitting the end game? Because because I mean no matter what story path you're on, you're still fighting Danica and the Lotus Empire and probably most of the <laughs> boss fights are the same. But, but what are the what are the major differences between the paths here? Um, so Danica, like just for clar- to clarify, Danica doesn't get revived until the very end. Oh, uh, okay. like you are trying to prevent her resurrection. Uh, and uh, but the biggest difference is like there's a sort of I mentioned you're saving townsfolk. Uh, if you go to side quests, if you do those missions early, you will see better circumstances. <laughs> we'll say. If you do them later, you will find that things have gotten worse. Uh, like uh, Leia's father might be dead and there's a lich in his place. And uh, a character that you could have recruited as a friend has gone mad from the Netherworlders and you have to kill him. Uh, but uh, some of your decisions also will change the bosses a little bit. Uh, like I fought King Procus is his name. Uh, you don't always fight him. Uh, Sometimes you just, uh, I actually don't remember who the first boss ends up being, but you go to confront Yumel and you might fight the king and you might not. Uh, how Yumel dies changes based on what you do. Uh, he might be killed by, uh, uh, it's, I think, pretty 
it's it's never explicitly said but he basically has a partner mari uh and that she can kill him in some storylines uh in my storyline she did not uh yumo goes on a a big speech about how he never intended to resurrect Danica. Like he just wanted this power to stop the war and, you know, make a difference in the world. And now that Magnus is there, it's done. It can be over. Uh, and a, another side character named Zeta instead, who is another worlder shows up and says, hold up. You didn't, you weren't going to resurrect the, the goddess. Then I don't need you anymore. And, and kills him in front of you. So like there's little changes, but the grand scheme of it is still you end up at a chaos gate, a second chaos gate at the end. And Danica is resurrected uh, as a final encounter. And it's a sick graphical effect where she'll appear as her normal form. And then when she turns into the final boss monster, they like all these, uh, all these um, like vines burst out <laughs> and then it goes to the over like the map the battle map screen and there, there's like chaotic forests all around all of a sudden the whole landscape has changed it's pretty cool yeah it's it's a pretty cool effect in, in that final boss um it actually makes me a little bit uh, sad that they don't do changes in the map more often in the game or ever ever again in the game exactly uh, that's the only time <laughs> because it is a very dynamic change in the map uh like they have times where enemy units will ambush you that you don't see before you get to a spot, but never where the mountain explodes and now it's a, a volcano spouting fire monsters or something, right? Yeah, there's, there's nothing there's, like that. There's monster spawners that that uh, emerge in the middle of these like dark forests, and there's two of them, and they'll spout monsters every like you know few in game hours. I think yeah, I think it's infinite. Uh, and it's in infin- every- I'm pretty sure it's infinite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be surprised I've never sat if it there wasn't. and done it. But uh, every other map, you can just full clear it, take out all the enemies if you want, and that one you you can't. It's it's a race you have to against- trudge through and and yeah. fight the monster that's really powerful, and all the while you have a chance of getting your you know your characters injured on the way, which will then reduce your effectiveness when you want to actually fight the monster. It's it, you it's it works out. It's fine. You know, it's, it ends up being manageable. I did wait there for a second because I didn't realize what was happening at first. So I kind of grouped up all my people in the towns nearby and just held them off forever. And I realized, okay, this is not going to stop. And so I had to like regroup, send a huge group at the same time, just for like attrition purposes. And then we finally got it done at the end. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing where you can't even, you can't plan ahead very well either because you, you go up and fight, the final Lotus Knight before Danica and uh, that's Baldwin. Uh, and then the Danica scene happens and the vines go everywhere and the forest emerges and it shoves all of your units back. So if you line up units ahead of time, it just pushes you away and you have to trudge through stuff anyway. Uh, you can kind of sneak around the back a little bit to like the very edge of the map and not get pushed so far, but uh, but most p- players playing normally would just walk up to the boss and think nothing, nothing of it, and then you're surrounded. Yeah, and and Pete, you showed us uh, some screenshots of your playthrough. You you ended up with a a, a playtime of 815 days. Is 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 that because of the 
the, the, the slow map clearing and like like scenarios you illustrated? Yeah, so the game uh, I believe counts days in two ways. On the over, there's an over over overworld map that that's like how you pick the missions that you go to, and there's dots in between destinations, and each of those dots represents a day of travel, and also there's a full day night cycle in the battles as well. And uh, I don't know, like Josh, is that a long? Is that a lot of days for a normal playthrough? I feel like, uh, yeah, I I didn't I. In my past playthrough, I definitely was, um, for example, spending a lot of time taking lower level units to mop up like leaderless enemy units to to level them up more. And um, so I definitely took a lot more time in previous playthroughs. And this one I played in preparation for this. So I kind of took a much more direct path and I left more enemies on the on the field. There was one or two maps where I didn't even capture every town. I just made a beeline. Mm-hmm straight for the objective and i almost never do that that actually felt very wrong so um yeah that's counting in-game days and honestly the days go by pretty fast Uh, like uh, i it's hard i can't really say i played the whole game on 300 percent speed but a full day night cycle on the battle map is some it's got to be like 30 seconds it's 30 seconds right Yeah. yeah it's it's like a second per hour it might even be faster than that like it's uh it's pretty quick uh, and it does matter the day and night matters because the nighttime affects your line of sight and okay i think don't chaotic and uh units get a bonus at night i stuff like believe that. so yes like yeah, it's I mean, not it's i'm not sure i'm sure that i'm sure that werewolves yeah. can yes the, the werewolf, werewolf gets crazy at night he's he's uh, definitely a, a kevin type of guy vampires also get affected like vampires can only come out at night uh and during the day they they can't move but they're also like impervious to damage. Uh, yeah, they take one HP no matter what you do to them. Uh, that actually makes them kind of good base guards because they also can't get pushed back. If they lo- if they lose, they just stay there forever during the day, right? Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of systems interacting in, in this game, and I'm, I'm sure it's interesting to see it all play out. I just, you know, wish it, it, it explained things a little better to the player. Because otherwise, it's it's so opaque that I I know I would, there would be things about this game that I love, and there would be other things about this game that would make it almost unplayable for me. I'm I'm not uh, I'm, I'm I'm not sure I'll ever get around to Ogre Battle sixty four. This, this this might enter like Eve Online territory, and that it's a game I enjoy reading and listening to things about without ever ever having to play it. Um, but I, we we should go into end game before we uh, start housekeeping on the podcast. Um, uh, uh, J- Josh, you mostly had a, a a chaos route, and uh, and you had a different final encounter than most players would. Uh, uh, could you explain uh, how that went? Yeah, so we actually we didn't talk very much about the Zenobians, right? Uh, who are past heroes from the Super Nintendo Ogre Battle game, right? That just show up mostly in cutscenes. Uh, if you take a lawful route, you can choose to recruit them, um, and if you do that. It doesn't really matter. How, you won't change the final ending um, very much, right? Um, I chose not to recruit them. Uh, I chose not to recruit them uh, and then also made very mean choices <laughs> throughout the game. Uh, and in doing so, uh, there's a almost like a super chaotic ending where after you defeat Danica... Uh, 
the Zenobians confront you. Um, so it's a it's an odd case where a game rewards you for getting the worst ending. Uh, you know, some people might say it's the best ending, but it's it's the bad ending, and uh, you have to fight the Zenobians and their entire battalion. Uh, it's uh, easily the most difficult mission in the game, just because the enemy units are much higher level uh, and very competently put together. Uh, just before we were recording here, I was playing that mission still. Uh, I was not sure if I was going to have it or not and uh, got a game over on the very first fight. Like I was not prepared for the mission. Uh, and so it's an, it's a difficult map uh, in what is really not a super difficult game. In the end, you either kill the, the leader of the Zenobians or he kills you. Uh, it's interesting where if you if you fight the boss of this mission and you die, you actually still get an ending. Uh, and I say if you die, you don't die, uh, but he kind of tries to rehabilitate you. He kind of says, look, you've been really, really bad, but I'm going to show you a better way uh, if he defeats you. Uh, otherwise, you kind of just go on being evil. <laughs> But no, so it's just it's an interesting bonus stage where you kind of see repercussions for all of your bad choices that uh, uh, the, the game does have this theme about choosing your own path. And uh, and like the, the title even alludes to like, are, are you a, a person of lordly caliber? Right. Are you are you fit to rule this country in some ways? And they decide you are not. Uh, and that you are so unfit that they don't even want you to go back and speak to Frederick again. They stop you on the way back to Frederick. But uh, uh, Pete, how did the game? What what was the um, uh, the outcomes for Magnus in your playthrough? So I, I really, I guess I got a neutral ending, and I really liked my ending. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, so in my ending, Frederick became known as the king and so frederick uh like a good revolutionary idealist that he is um it says that uh the the game the narration proclaims that he was known as the people's king because he never sat on the throne and he's his policies reflected the will of the people and so that was kind of a cool little thing. And then the the last note on Magnus that I got. So before that, I should say um, Destin, who's one of the Zenobian insurgents that helps the revolution. He comes up to Magnus and he says uh, he's going back to um, going back to Zenobia. And um, he invites Magnus to come over and it kind of is an offer that makes sense because it's like we came over, we helped you if you want, you're welcome to come help us. And Magnus decides to put his energy into rebuilding the kingdom. And then we get the scene where they talk about Frederick and how Frederick governed. And then there's a battle that we don't see. It's only talked about. And in that battle, Frederick is killed. So not only is he a, a king who tried to um, relate to the plight of everyday people, he also fought himself to defend them. Uh, to the point where he died. And then the last note on Magnus is that as a knight, he pledged his allegiance to no one, not even his king. 
And I thought that was kind of an interesting little point there. I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. And I do wonder, Josh, this might put you on the spot. I don't know if you have the answer to me, but I wonder if that might uh, have been affected in some ways by the choices I made at the very, very beginning of the game. Uh, Not to my knowledge. Uh, As far as I know, like your, your reputation, your chaos frame is the primary deciding factor. Uh, it it's it's not exactly split into three it's not i think it's 34 not 33 and maybe like 68 uh instead of 66 to divide the three endings apart but there is a a chaotic a neutral and a lawful ending uh and then technically two more endings if you meet the criteria for the bonus ending and and the more lawful ending has uh magnus sort of become frederick's right hand man instead of instead of like uh instead of never pledging to anyone and after frederick passes away magnus has the choice to become king that's correct he he becomes king uh and then and even in the they they have some extended storyline and this is all just narrated to you right it's just words on the screen you don't see it's 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 an it's an epilogue yeah yeah and but they even say that he has a son and his son becomes king uh and just continues to rule so it, it's like your bloodline becomes the royalty of Palatinus. It is kind of thought provoking, you know, that last note, uh, at least on the ending I got. Um, uh, I don't think we can assume I, I, we can assume that there is a canon ending. Right. But the one I got, he pledges allegiance to no one, not even his king. I wonder if he remains an insurgent or if he is engaged in revolutionary activity for the rest of his life or it, it may be. Uh, there is a, a war that's talked about after the events of the game in this epilogue. And so it, 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 it I just kind of wonder, and it makes me think about like what that might look like, um, you know, practically someone like Magnus, what is he doing? What's he up to? But I liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. Well, we won't really know what the canon ending is unless, uh, unless they make, you know, a future game, game in the uh, yeah. in the ogre battle saga <laughs> yeah un, un, until then um i don't think we can pick any a, any game as canon unless you know uh but if you have particular feelings about one that can be your canon until you're proven otherwise yeah i agree i was gonna say like i actually i i also really like the neutral ending i think it's i think it's probably the most interesting one maybe uh like just as from a thought-provoking standpoint and I wondered what happened to Magnus uh, uh, along with the ending I mentioned where Destin defeats you and kind of says, here, let me show you a better way. Uh, it's it's similar in that the two of them go traveling the world together, uh, but they're not they're not part of an army anymore. They're just kind of on their own wanderers uh, and uh, and has that same kind of open ended what happens next feeling i have to say for for being a 1999 n64 rpg to have a story with so many moving pieces and a battle system that can go so many different ways and uh three sort of main endings and a, a few other conditional um post-game scenes because i know th- there's the one that ha- involves the final boss of ogre battle march of the black queen that you told me about before we started recording oh, josh you're right yep we didn't yeah, talk and, about that yeah, yeah well we, we can talk about it. i mean we don't need to go too deeply into it but it, it it's um the the 
sorcerer that's sort of at the center of uh march of the black queen um like like he manages to 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 migrate his soul into mari's body mari being sort of one of the attendees of uh of yumel and uh and um, Mari conceives a child with Yumel, but then the sorcerer is able to have his soul reincarnate into the child's body. So a potentially a half God with the mind and soul of an evil sorcerer is born in the epilogue of the bad ending of, of Ogre Battle 64. Is that, is that most of it? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. What, what's the guy's name? I forget. I'm his sorry. name is Rashidi. Uh, I don't think they say it in this game. Uh, it's kind of uh, that's a case where you kind of need the prior knowledge for it to make sense. Okay. S- still, that that's a hell of a tidbit for someone that's really invested in the series and wants to see where it goes next. Because I mean, like presumably one generation, this baby could be you know a, a, a dangerous player in this world. So that's a. I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's at least a tidbit if they ever decide to revive this series properly. Uh, that that they uh, that's one avenue they could explore at least, and you know, um, I, I I'm not super optimistic on the possibility of a revival of uh, Ogre Battle, but I mean, Square Enix they, they they put money into remakes and remasters and continuations of old series. Like I I have a feeling they're looking at the numbers of Tactics Ogre Reborn from last year, the 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 remake of Tactics Ogre. I'm sure they're looking at those numbers like with both eyebrows raised. Like, like if that is a well they can mine, then I think more Ogre Saga remakes and possibly an Ogre Saga sequel could be down the line. But there are there there are too many unknowns for me to like strongly believe that that's the case. Just you would like we we know that Square Enix is willing to remake these, and that's something. I'm a little more optimistic than you about about remasters remakes. I don't know that they'll ever continue it at this point, but. I'd welcome it either way. I'd, you know, um, I'm, I'm happy for some of these games to kind of stand on their own merits, but I would definitely welcome either a remaster or a continuation. Um, it's hit or miss, I suppose, when you remake or remaster uh, a, a cult type game. But there, like you said, with um, Tactics Ogre, I mean, you see it happen. Uh, Live Alive, I think, did pretty well too. Like Tactics Ogre, Live Alive, the Pixel Remasters, Trials of Mana, um, Final Fantasy VII. Maybe you've heard of that little indie darling. Um, <laughs> there's uh, like Square Square Enix, like like remakes and remasters are a normal part of the video game release cycle nowadays. And Square Enix does maybe more of them than anybody. So I, I think that an, a March of the Black Queen or Person of Lordly Caliber remaster down the line is um is, is a very high possibility but a, con- a continuation less of a pop- possibility but both of those things depend on how well the um tactics ogre reborn did i think but all indications are it did pretty well so i i, I think there's reason for optimism but okay if i'm speculating on the possibility of a uh, future ogre battle game with the half god son of the possessed um uh, <laughs> chosen prince of the of the who's also the main character's best friend uh i we're definitely at the end of the episode uh thank you so much uh peter and josh for um joining me on this like ogre battle 64 is a game we've talked about um maybe doing for a while now and this was finally the right opportunity to do it just i had the incredible bad fortune of like not being able to play any video games during the time I should have been playing this video game. So I, uh, I never got around to playing it and, and having a proper discussion with you. 
I'm still glad that we had these podcasts and got to have a discussion at least. So uh, thank you for being part of it. Yeah, I feel like we contributed something and I really appreciate you leading the discussion. And, you know, I mean, we're doing this because of you, because you're the podcast guy. You're the retro encounter guy. So, <laughs> so the official term is pod father. I'm the I'm the pod father. Uh, yes. I made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Not at all. No, this one. No way. So I really appreciate that we were able to, you know, put this one out there. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate the opportunity. Like, not, not a lot of folks talk about Ogre Battle '64 or Ogre Battle at all. Uh, so, I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite games. I'm, I'm not sure I'll ever try to revisit this, just because I'm always looking at the next game or the next podcast, and I, I hardly have a chance to replay anything unless it's for a podcast. But but th- this game is you can tell, especially just from the community around it, how passionate they are. That this game means a lot to um to, to its fans, and uh, and there is definitely interest in the podcast, uh, even from announcing it. So like I, even though I, I doubt this game is from, I have some doubts that this game might uh, be for me. There's no doubting at all the uh um the dedication of and and excitement level of its fan of its fans. But I mean, I, I haven't even picked up Tactics Ogre Reborn yet. I because uh, I, I I played the PSP version only only three or four years ago. So I'm not sure exactly uh, when more Ogre will happen in my life. But I, I know what's going to happen at least for the next uh, in the next month or so of podcasts um, uh, coming soon. We have two episodes on Star Tropics. Um, those will be the second, the third and fourth episodes of February. Um, and uh, I know that Jono and Mike are really excited to talk about that game. Uh, it, it's a very uh, unusual NES action RPG that makes a lot of really bold choices. And in March, we have that planned out already. We're doing an episode on farming games, an episode on our most wanted uh, RPG remakes. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Ogre Battle will come up in that discussion. Um, and, we're, and we're also doing a dedicated episode on Persona 4. Because the, um, the Persona 3 and 4 remakes, uh, or I should say remasters, came out pretty recently. And uh, we have a special guest um, excited to talk about that remake. So, uh, yeah, please um, uh, look forward to our Persona 4 revisited episode in March. And also in March, I mean, I think I've already announced this other places. Um, the game of the month is going to be Like a Dragon Ishin. Uh, that game finally came out in the West after uh fans were waited waited for about nine years um it's it's the remake is for ps4 ps5 the original game was for ps3 and ps4 um the remake makes a lot of changes we're gonna have a lot to discuss there and also we haven't had a proper yakuza or like a dragon discussion um i don't know since our since our spoiler cast in early 2021 so it, it has been too long since we've um geeked out about yakuza on retro encounter and that is happening in March. Uh, but if you want to reach out to Retro Encounter about uh, Like a Dragon or Star Tropics or Ogre Battle or farming, the best way to do is e- to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. RPG Fan also has presences on Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, something going on based on all of those basically every day. Um, RPGfan.com slash shop is a place where you can uh, see our merch store hosted by T Public. They have uh, RPG apparel, coffee mugs, phone cases, pins, other things uh, emblazoned with the RPG Fan Emerald Shield. That's another great way to support us. Uh, You can also listen to our other two fine podcasts, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and current RPG events, and Rhythm Encounter every other other two weeks, mostly about RPG music. You can uh, review retro encounter or those other two podcasts on apple Podcasts, google play spotify all of the usual podcast places um we would love all the feedback that you could possibly provide 
Um, but if you want to provide us feedback as individuals and not as a podcast or a website, how do you do that? Let's tell you, starting with you, Josh. Yeah, so you can uh, follow me on Tumblr and Twitter. I'm uh, at Watcher Joshua. Now, Pete. Um, you might have a good chance of watching me violently snipe Nazis in Sniper Elite on twitch.tv slash RG Halfpenny. And listeners, uh, the best way to find me is probably either Twitter or Discord. On Twitter, I'm at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs at other times, and on RPG Fans, uh, excuse me, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. Well, oh boy. Now I can finally just start counting the days until I can be a gun samurai in 1860s Kyoto. Listeners, thank you. Good night, and good luck.